Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the November 2015 podcast. Wonderful to have you along, as always. And um, interestingly, I was looking at some of the stats for the number of people, or at least the number of plays that this podcast is getting, because um, although it started, this is getting towards the end of its third year, although it started off um, just on my website, for, since last December, I've actually been linking it through the Podbean podcast website itself. And as a result of that, of course, I've been able to get hold of stats about how many plays it's getting. And uh, it's very interesting watching how it's been developing. Um, I've had well over 5,000 plays um, in the 11 sort of issues or editions that have been so far put on Podbean since last December. And uh, and I've noticed a, a quite a sharp increase in the number of plays in the last five to six months. Um, which is very gratifying. It's great to know that there's somebody actually out there listening. You sometimes wonder whether you're just sitting here talking to yourself. Uh, so clearly not. When I first thought about doing a podcast, I did wonder, well, what format would it take? What should I put in it? And of course, it's um, the way that, that I've sort of ended up doing it. It's just a very um, personal view um, on a number of different topics that I feel that um, you all might be interested in listening to. Um, it uh, hasn't got a particularly distinctive format. It's just topics that have occurred to me and that I think I would like to, to chat to you about. Well, clearly, um, it appears to be uh, finding favour with many. But if there are some things that you would quite like me to do or talk about on this podcast, then do let me know. And if it's something that I feel would work, then I'll be very happy to consider it. I was um, having a chat on the telephone the other day with one of my closest uh, magical friends and we got to talking about um, fee levels for shows and the context that it was in was not so much about what we were charging but um, the type and level of fees that uh, another magician who is pretty much in our area was charging for shows, fees that were a lot higher than the ones that we were charging. And my friend was saying that uh, this person had said that um, obviously he was charging higher fees, but that his conversion rate from inquiry to actual bookings was very low, obviously because the fees are higher. There are less people perhaps in this area who can afford them. And this then led us to a discussion about the correlation between uh, or the balance even between what you charge and how many shows you want to do. I mean, it doesn't automatically follow, of course, that if you charge a low fee, you will get lots of bookings. But there is a kind of a tipping point, probably, and it may well depend on the type of customers who there are in the area where you live or where you want to work as to where this tipping point is and what the expectations of potential bookers are in terms of the levels of fees that they feel magicians are worth. But um, you have to kind of decide, don't you, that um, I could set my fees high, maybe even disproportionately high, because quite frankly, I don't want to do that many shows. I've got other things that I'm doing. And you may take a view that, OK, if I get one to ten, one show for every ten inquiries at a high rate, then, then I'm happy with that. But of course, the downside of that is that because you're not out there working very much, there is a certain price to be paid in terms of um, exposure to, all, to various audiences. 
Um, if you're only doing a very occasional show, then obviously that's not a lot of good because what will happen is you won't be seeing that many people so that the potential for extra bookings from those people is naturally enough reduced. So uh, I think it's an interesting one. This balance, you know, you can set your fees low, but then you get into a, um, a situation where all your fees end up perhaps being low. You do more shows, but you're working very hard to make not that much money. You can set it too high, earn proportionately more money, but not get the exposure because you're not doing that many shows. And I guess, as I say, I think it really does depend on where you are, where you're living and where you're working as to where that balance is. But I think it's a decision that perhaps if you're serious about the amount of show income you want to produce, it's something that you do have to consider. Now, at the time of recording this in October, um, Dynamo has just started his the first of his tour of shows, big arena shows. He's in the Apollo in Manchester, I believe, currently. And uh, I was reading um, one of the reviews that was in one of the newspapers about the show. And and I'm absolutely fascinated by this because I've I've talked about this a little bit before, that the format of the TV show that's made Dynamo so famous and he's done so well with, it's it's a very intimate sort of show. Yes, he does the occasional big stunt like walking down the side of a building, hanging off the side of a bus and walking across the Thames a little bit and so on. But I think the the magic that's made the most impression on on the lay public anyway are all the small tricks. I mean, things like, and this is one of the tricks that he does that's been mentioned to me by lay people on a number of occasions, is the mobile phone in the bottle trick, which seems to have been one that's caught the imagination of a lot of people. And so I'm absolutely fascinated to know how he was going on a huge stage, going to marry this this very understated personality that he has when he performs with a big arena. You know, what what format was this show going to take? And it would appear from the um, from the review anyway that he's actually gone pretty much down the sort of mentalism route and uh, has done quite a bit of mind reading. He's done, apparently he does do the, the mobile phone and the bottle trick, And he does one or two other things. He levitates a little bit, apparently, according to the review. But he doesn't do anything particularly spectacular in terms of illusion. It's it's much um, sort of smaller, lower key. And I think what they're trying to do with this is to keep the boy next door feel to it, not make him into a big da-da type of show person, but to make him still the sort of personality that people have come to expect and presumably like from the television. But but it's not easy, is it? Because you, you can't, uh, on a big stage, get away with some of the things um, that you can get away with on the television, and in some ways vice versa. So it's it's a fascinating exercise. And, and the reviewer did say, because it was a review of, of the very first show that he did, that he, you know, he seemed a little bit nervous and the patter seemed a little bit stilted and so on. Maybe hardly surprising, because... I suspect that Dynamo perhaps hasn't done a huge amount of very big shows like this, and it will be a learning curve for him. Um, But he'll soon get the hang of it, I'm sure. And if he has success uh, and gets a really good reaction from the people who come, uh, I'm sure it'll be the start of a a really good um, further career for him. Um, It's... uh, it's also interesting, really, but that he um, apparently got injured, didn't he, after the first night and um, had to postpone the second night. Uh, and it just shows you when when you don't have that when there's no backup, 
and you get this with comedians and you get it with with sort of um, solo singers and so on if they are ill or something happens it and you've sold thousands of tickets for a specific night it is a bit of a nightmare you know how do you get around this i mean he had apparently back spasms or something uh, and thanks to some physio eventually got over it fairly quickly and was able to to put another night on i believe but um what a pressure and whether this this particular um, spasm was a reaction to the pressure of building up to that first show um it, it's hard to imagine um but uh, i wouldn't be surprised but anyway i really hope that he he manages to make a big success of it he's got loads of dates booked over the next six months of course and will be appearing all over the country at really big venues and um and it'll be great for the rest of us because what he's doing once again as he has with the television he's elevating magic he's putting it to the forefront of everybody's um into the forefront of everybody's mind and and hopefully that has a spin-off for the rest of us magicians because when people want to find some entertaining hey went and saw dynamo he was brilliant let's have a magician for our party and that's often the way that it works so um i say more power to his elbow and uh, thank you dynamo for uh, helping to keep the profile of magic really high about 15 years ago i can remember um choosing as a topic for one of my chatter blogs the subject of um, our performances when we're doing shows being filmed um, around that time um, there was a, quite a lot of discussion was going on amongst magicians because increasingly as the ability of the man in the street to get a fairly small camcorder and be able to almost at the drop of a hat set up uh, a filming situation meant that we would sometimes turn up at a say a children's party and discover there was a tripod set up and one of these camcorders sat on it and the whole show was about to be filmed and the discussion that uh, was had amongst magicians was well is this acceptable you know sometimes the pe- the uh, if it was the parent of the child who was uh, um was having the party then they would sometimes say to you oh uh, is it okay if i if i film what you're doing and then the ma- the magician has a right i assume to say either yes or no the problem is if you say no well that sets up a rather well hang on a minute mate i'm paying you um you know surely i'm i'm in my house i'll film what i damn well like you could imagine might be the attitude of some people which then sets up a a conflict before the show begins um and therefore could make life very very difficult but on the other hand there are people who say yes but hang on a minute what will happen if and this was the argument that was used at the time what happens if instead of booking me next year they they use the footage of my show and 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 run it again and i always thought that was a really stupid argument if johnny at six has you for his sixth birthday party he's hardly likely to want to have a rerun of you performing for his seventh i mean that, that, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever on the other hand i always took the view that well if you've got a good show and you and they film it and to be honest with you i think most of the time they're filming the kids and their own son or daughter and what they're doing they're not really that interested in your show to be honest but even if they do and they then run it afterwards and they show it to people well i always thought well that's good isn't it if you've got a great show and the next door neighbors see it or the kids from down the road see it who perhaps hadn't been at the party hey this we saw this great magician can i have him for my party i always saw it as a very positive thing and this was in the days well before youtube uh, 
um, nowadays, of course, everything is out there and people, the situation has got a lot worse if you don't like this type of thing going on than it ever was back 15 years ago. Now, of course, with people's phones, um, at the drop of a hat, they f- people film just about anything and everything. And it's really common, isn't it? When you're entertaining at a table, you'll notice some one or sometimes two people have immediately got their phones out and are filming what you what you're actually doing. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to stop. Sorry, would you put your phones away? I'm not having you filming me. Mm, don't think so people go what are you talking about because they they're so used to filming everything that they do they don't see the difference between filming somebody doing something stupid at a party and filming you performing at a party to them it's all one and the same but i haven't heard a discussion from magicians about this so does this mean that magicians have just got to the point now where they accept okay it's fair game if I'm performing, the likelihood somebody somewhere will be filming me. And they just sort of go shrug and say, oh, well, whatever. Or is there still a feeling amongst magicians that uh, it's not acceptable to have your show um, videoed? Now, I know when you go to a big show in the theatres, they always say no filming and all the rest of it. So I'm not talking about that situation so much as I'm talking about the more informal ones. Somebody's um, adult birthday party, for instance, or indeed children's parties, for that matter. The fact that phones are so small and people can just whip them out and instantly start filming without any sort of setup or anything like that means that the temptation for people to film you is much, much higher. And as I say, they now have an expectation, I believe, that uh, that they can do that. So for me, I don't really mind. I, I mean, I, I have no objection to people. In fact, in some ways, the more the merrier. If they put something on YouTube of me performing, well, as long as I'm not making a complete mess of it, and then, you know, if I am, well, hey, that's my fault. I shouldn't be making a mess of it. But if, if it's, it's good footage, then surely I think that's a good thing and something we should embrace and not challenge. I just realised that um, very recently I passed a, a little landmark and it's to do with my online um, information resource, eClub Pro. And, and I've just noticed that um, I have just passed the 500 pages of content mark. I've been building up to this for a little while because um, there are 10 different sections of eClub Pro. And um, some of these sections have the material replaced each month. But there are other sections that are actually added to. So there is a gradual incremental increase in the number of pages available to paid up members to uh, to use. So um, we've been gradually building up. And I realise I've just gone past the uh, the 500 page mark. Now, eClub Pro was started back in January 2011. And um, when I set out to, to create this particular idea, um, I didn't really have... Um, a firm idea of what size it would ever get to or how many members I would ever have. Um, It's been a a very interesting process. And for me, creatively, it's been a a huge impetus to come up with interesting and uh, worthwhile material that I can pass on to members. And although I had an overall idea that I wanted eClub Pro to be a a place that was a trusted resource for magicians to get information, to get new magic, to get advice directly from me if they wanted it and so on. Um, I didn't really know in what way it would manifest itself. 
So to see that I've now got over 500 pages of content available to members, I feel quite proud of that, really. It's taken, I'm obviously getting coming, just coming towards the end of my fifth year. Um, and so uh, it has been a gradual process, but a very hopefully worthwhile process for the members, some of who um, have been members right from the very moment I started. And others have joined, of course, more recently. And it's lovely to think that with the Internet being the way that it is, that I can share these ideas with people, with members who are spread all over the world, Australia, um, Hong Kong, Singapore, America, all over across Europe. It's, it's brilliant. And it's, it's something that 20 years ago I could never have imagined would have been possible in many ways because the dissemination of information was so much more difficult and uh, you know you had to write books or produce videos in those days in order to get your ideas out there physically go and do lectures to places in order to get any sort of information out there whereas now with something like eclub pro i can get people all over the world to experience the ideas um very quickly and in, in a nice um, sort of um, manageable way that the members themselves can enjoy and each month when they get the new updates Hopefully they look forward to, to accessing them and finding out what's new this month. So I'm very proud of eClub Pro, I must admit, and, um, and I thoroughly enjoy preparing all the material every month. It's, uh, it really is, a, I think, um, it is a valuable resource. And, uh, and if you're wondering what it's, what it's all about, just go to my website and uh, have a look at the information page. Maybe even get the Taster ebook that you can get, which will give you examples of all 10 sections so that you, could, you can experience what it's really like. And if you feel like signing up, it's just £8 a month and uh, there's no fixed subscription period. So you can stay for as long as you like. Uh, and I think if you do give it a try, you'll be amazed at, well, that there are over 500 pages worth of content for you to enjoy. Over the last 12 months, um, I've written a couple of ebooks about similar and yet different topics. Now, let me explain. Um, I've written an ebook called Going Walkabout, which is all about um, how to do mix and mingle work where your audience is standing and there are no tables. And The Table Magician, which, as it states in the title of the ebook, is all about working at the table side, table hopping, as we used to call it. And um, normally, of course, this is done at big dinner functions or sometimes in hotel, restaurants, uh, pubs and wine bars and places like that. And what I suddenly realised when I was writing these two is that although there are naturally enough overlaps, particularly, I think, in type of material, certainly for me anyway, the type of material that I use is often very, very similar, if not exactly the same. And yet the two uh, ways of working are very, very different. If I think of the, the way that I have to perform at a table, let's say it's a table of 10 people, it's almost like a small cabaret. You know, you, if you've got a table of 10 people, a large function table with all the distractions and noise going on around you, people eating, talking, drinking, moving around, the waiting staff coming to the tables, interrupting wine waiters and so on, meals arriving unexpectedly, all the things that can happen to you when you're working a big dinner function, the disco or the band suddenly um, cranking up the sound when you hadn't expected it. All these things are very different from when you're doing the drinks reception, say before the meal, when everybody's in smaller groups. It might be still quite crowded and quite noisy, but it's much, much more intimate. 
And yet the material that I'm doing is very, very similar. As I say, sometimes even identical. And so what happens is when I'm at the table, I present big or at least bigger. If I'm doing the same trick to a small group, of course, it's much more downbeat or at least it can be much smaller. And you can also um, you can do different types of magic, of course, in these situations. Um, sometimes what will work at a table won't necessarily work when you're doing the mix and mingle and vice versa. Um, but it's, it's quite interesting that there are tricks that you can use for both. And it's nothing to do with the trick. It's simply the way you put the trick across. Uh, and I think this is quite important because if you put the trick across in the wrong way, then although the trick may be fine, the situation in which you're performing it may mean that you, you it doesn't have any impact I mean, an example of that would be if you went up to a big table and you performed in a very quiet way just to a couple of people who who were standing or sorry, sitting, I should say, right next to you at the table side. It would be like doing the mix and mingle type of performance where it's small, but the rest of the people wouldn't be engaged around the table. So that wouldn't be right, in my view. It, it wouldn't have the impact that it should have. Similarly, if you went up to a, a group of two or three people and you projected really loud, they would be very put off. They would, whoa, what's the matter with this guy? Um, it would be too much for the situation. They would kind of back off you, I, I suspect, and, and, and be intimidated by the loudness and be embarrassed, perhaps, by the fact that uh, you were making such a noise and everybody was looking around at you because this performer was making so much racket. So it's it, it's not so much the tricks, although, as I say, occasionally there are tricks which are more suited to tables than for walkabout. Um, but it is more the way you present those tricks that is the fundamental difference between these two different um, types of performance. I mean, I have to say that my personal favourite these days, uh, I used to like tables best, but now I prefer the mix and mingle. I must admit, the, the informality of it, um, particularly at private parties, perhaps in somebody's house uh, where everybody's very relaxed. Um, I really enjoy that. I, I feel that you can really develop a bit of character. When you're doing big dinner functions, of course, you're often in a hurry, it, you're having to strain your voice perhaps to, to get across to a big group. And there are a lot more distractions. And in many ways, it's a lot more difficult. Um, so I prefer the more intimate mix and mingle. But hey, don't mind doing either. Um, doesn't mean to say kind of a favourite, of course. So I, I wonder whether, if you look at the material that you use for those two different types, whether you have two completely different sets of material, or whether, in fact, like like me, you also just simply present the tricks differently. Have you ever thought about that? I belong to a couple of business networking groups in my area. And a couple of times a month, I'll go to these business networking luncheons. In fact, they are. And um, at the end of the meal, there's an opportunity for any of the uh, members to book themselves in to do a 10 minute speaker slot after the meal in which you present to everybody in the room. And there's usually 60, 70 people in the room. And, um, and I like to do these on a fairly regular basis. I mean, it's a wonderful opportunity to to get myself out there to show them what I can do and to interact with everybody in the room. And of course, as magicians, um, we have a, a, a tremendous advantage because a lot of the uh, the people who do uh, get up and do the speaker slot, while some of them are very good, 
Some of them really aren't. They clearly are out of their comfort zone. They've decided that it would be good to, to be up there and to talk to everybody. But the reality of doing it when they actually get to it obviously has phased them a bit. And they don't really know what they're doing and they can be a bit boring. But of course, for us as magicians, we're used to performing. Um, well, it's 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 relatively easy. But what I'm always looking to do, of course, is to find something that I can talk about. I don't just want to stand up and do tricks. Um, I always like to, to have some preamble to that. Uh, and the most recent one that I did um, uh, last month was um, I decided to tell them some of the stories of some of the funny things that have happened to me while performing. And, uh, and they seem to enjoy those stories. Um, and it's always fun to be able to, uh, to pass those on. Because I think we've all had experiences, haven't we, where funny or awful things have happened to us. And so um, I thought they would be interested in that, and it appeared that they were. But, of course, they always expect that the magician is going to perform. That's what they really want you to do. And so I always like to finish with a trick, of course. And, uh, and I, it led me to think that we're very lucky as magicians, really, because if we do um, have any opportunity to talk to business people, um, if the talk itself is not rip-roaringly great, it doesn't actually matter too much, because if we finish with a really good trick, then they will be impressed. And I've often thought about people like stand-up comedians. Um, they have nothing very much to fall back on if their jokes or their delivery of those jokes is no good. Whereas as magicians, if we try to be sort of comedians and we're not that good at it, really, we have always got, hopefully, the baffling magic to fall back on. It's like a fail-safe. And, uh, and, for, and this, for me, has always been um, a real bonus that at any time, if I'm doing a business talk, and I've done presentations on how to how to to make the most of trade show works, to not to magicians, I'm talking about to general business people, and I intermingle it with magic, and I am sure that it's the magic part of it that gives it because that's where I'm the most comfortable, of course, doing the magic. Um, that that always helps to make the thing more impressive than perhaps the talk on its own might well have been. So I think we're very lucky in, in that we have this uh, added little bonus that we can uh, attach to any um, sort of speaking engagement. When I was young, I was uh, a child. And in those days, uh, my family lived in southeast Kent in a little tiny village, well away, actually, from most of civilization, as it turned out. And... Um, when I always got interested in magic around about the age of six, between then and about for the, about the next ten years, um, I hardly met another magician, even though I was terribly keen uh, to either watch magic or interact with other magicians and find out how stuff was done. And um, back in the sort of mid to late 60s, it was actually really difficult to get information about magic. There were one or two magic books available in bookstores, and I, and I was bought those. But um, trying to get hold of the, the, the addresses uh, or the contact details of magic dealers was really difficult. To find information about magic clubs or other magicians locally, again, very difficult. And it makes me wonder how anybody ever became a magician, because everything just seemed to be... I suppose if you're in the middle of London, maybe it was easier to get information. But certainly for me out in the sticks, 
it was almost impossible. My parents tried to the best they could, but they did, they were floundering around trying to get information. And I remember what a, a breakthrough it was when um, we discovered Harry Stanley's Unique Magic Studio in London. And my dad took me up two or three times to the studio and I used to buy a bit of magic and so on. And that was the first time that I ever really saw what a magic shop was and, and that it was opened up with their catalogue, all this magic that was available if only you knew where it was. But it just wasn't easy. And I compare that to now when anybody, any youngster coming into magic, um, has the whole of the internet at basically at their disposal um, in order to get information to find out where people are performing to go and watch them perform to meet other magicians either online or offline um, it is a fantastic uh, world now because we are so interconnected and for young budding magicians um, the, the problem is not well you know i don't know where to get information the problem now is the opposite. Oh, my goodness, I've got too much information. How do I sift this information and get it down to a manageable proportion? How do I not get overwhelmed by the number of magic tricks that are available to buy and make some sensible choices? So we've gone from no information now to information overload. And funnily enough, they're both, although they're completely opposite, they're both one and the same problem in a way. It's all a, all a question of deciding how you're going to deal with it, isn't it? Right, well, that's all we've got time for this month. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the November podcast. And it'll be my pleasure to be back here again uh, in a month's time with some more topics to, for you to listen to and hopefully to uh, get you thinking. Thanks ever so much for listening and bye for now.